your parents told you that you guys weren't the kind of people to watch Star Trek. Yeah, I think it was always pretty much derided as I was growing up. So I just never considered watching it ever. Why was it derided? I don't exactly know. I got the impression it was a bit silly and a bit naff, too nerdy. And I'm obviously my eyes are more open to nerdiness now since I've got them together with you. Sure. But then they weren't. Of course. Now, I've had the exact opposite experience. My father was super into Star Trek, and I watched Star Trek from a very early age. I don't ever remember not watching Star Trek. And I've never sat down and watched any bit of an episode of Star Trek. You are now going to watch the first episode of Star Trek, the original series. Yes. I'm Rachel Lackey. And my name is Chris Lackey, and we've been married for almost seven years now. And you are about to watch Star Trek for the first time, and I'm going to watch it with you. I know I've seen bits and here and there of Star Trek, so I've got impressions. So what do you think you're going to think about this? Uh, I think I'm probably going to quite enjoy this Shatner guy because <laughs> seems like he's quite a character. <laughs> I've heard a few clips of him going off on directors and things yeah. like that, and um, he seems like a bit of a silly little sod. <laughs> so I'm going <laughs> to... See what he's up to. And then I know Spock's this kind of very literal, sciencey guy. So a bit of a foil for each other, that contrast. Maybe that'll be interesting. Yeah. I'm not really in looking forward to the wrinkly type of alien type of characters. What do you mean by wrinkly? Well, they've got those wrinkly noses, haven't they? <laughs> they look human, <laughs> but then they've just got wrinkly yeah. nose or yeah. a wrinkly chin or something. Yeah. Or a funny hairline. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, that's pretty accurate. But this, they're doing scenes as though it's Shakespearean or really highly emotive scenes, but you're supposed to take them seriously, even though it's just a person, but just with some wrinkly makeup. So are you are you ready to take try and take it seriously? I mean, are you going to... So I am up for it. I think my mind's about 70% open. Eh, that's not bad. Well, let's give it a shot. Check the circuit. All operating, sir. Can't be the screen, then. Definitely something out there, Captain. Headed this way. Could be these meteoroids. No, it's something else. There's still something out there. That is from the pilot episode of the original series of Star Trek, entitled The Cage. And I want to welcome you to our pilot episode of Rachel Watches Star Trek. I am Chris Lackey. And I am Rachel Lackey. And I really want to ask you what you thought of this pilot episode, but I think we should wait until the end. Okay. And just jump right into the synopsis of the episode. Let's put on our sparkly suits and dive in. So the year is 2254, 11 years before uh, Captain Kirk's five-year mission on the USS Enterprise. I um, don't know what that means. <laughs> All right, I see how this is going to go. On the original series of Star Trek, it's about the five-year mission of the USS Enterprise, and Captain Kirk is the captain of that ship. So this one episode is 11 years before all of the subsequent episodes. Yeah. Hmm. 
odd. Well, this is a pilot episode, which is actually very different from the final series. Mm. And I'm a big fan of Star Trek, Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, even Enterprise. I loved you Enterprise. Love it all. But I dip back into the original series every once in a while, but I haven't really sat down and gave it attention. Like mm. a binge watching deep dive. But <laughs> I'm going to be doing it with you. Yeah. Someone who doesn't like Star Trek. Well, I only don't like it in the same way that I don't like pork scratching. <laughs> I, can, I, can, I can appreciate some people love the hairy, crispy oh. kind of burnt skin thing going on. But without ever trying them, I know they're not for me. Wait, so you're comparing Star Trek to pork scratchings? Well, I don't know. Maybe Star Trek has a wider, more sophisticated appeal. Yeah, it does. I'm going to definitively say yes, it does. Star Trek is better than pork scratching. Absolutely. It has inspired generations of scientists. Which pork scratchings may not have done. <laughs> may have done. So this is going to be a bit of an experiment for us because I really think that it will eventually win you over. But if it doesn't, then this will be a very short experiment. <laughs> That's true. Now, I'm the co-host of another show, the HP Lovecraft Literary Podcast at hppodcraft.com. Yay! But I love Star Trek. And also, I cribbed this idea from a book I read called Adventures with My Wife in Space by Neil Perryman. It's about this guy getting his wife to watch Doctor Who. So our show is also derivative. Aw, you hate that. Yeah, but I think it'll be fun. Yeah. And that's why we're doing this. So in the Trekverse, this story is set, like I said, 11 years before Captain Kirk takes over. And I didn't realize that until I looked this up. Me neither. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so the scene opens up on the bridge of the Enterprise. And in the captain's chair is this guy, Pike, played by Jeffrey Hunter. Not Captain Kirk or Shatner. Did this confuse you? Yeah, I figured Shatner was going to show up at some point. Not on this episode. This is Shatner-free pilot. What a ripoff. Now, the first thing that stands out to me when watching this again is that there is not a lot of color on this Star Trek. First of all, in their wardrobe, their uniforms are very drab and desaturated. But also, there's not a lot of diversity. Mm. Lots of white people and only one woman. And that woman is the character called Number One. That's all she goes by. And she's played by Majel Barrett, who eventually marries Gene Roddenberry and becomes Majel Roddenberry. There you go. <laughs> it's just like Brain Man. What? That's how we, it wasn't how we oh. got together, but I was in that <laughs> film. You were the director. Later. That's true. We got married. Yeah. Three or four years later. Much later. Five or six years later. This story takes place two weeks after there was this battle on a planet called Rigel 7 that killed three Enterprise crewmen. Hmm. So that's a little backstory that's going on. Now, the ship experiences some kind of space distortion and almost collides with it, I I think. Mm. I was a little confused about what was going on here. They figure out the distortion was actually a, a distress signal made to almost crash the ship so that it would get the ship's attention, I think. Yeah, I didn't really know what was going on at this point. Yeah, it was confusing. So anyway, the Enterprise is on its way to the Vega Colony, and doesn't want to stop because it's a very important mission. Spock tells him that it looks like this distress signal might be from a ship that was lost about 18 years ago. Pike's not sure what he should do, so he goes off to his quarters to think about it. While he's in his quarters, in walks the ship's doctor, Philip Philzy Boyce. Why is he called Philzy? Because he's street. That's what they call him. Do they? No. You made it up. Yep. Oh, I like it. So uh, what were you thinking at this point in the show? Oh, it was chilling, wasn't it, with the sliding doors? Chilling. Yeah, it's like on one of those um, disabled toilets on a train with a sliding door. You can press a button and it opens. Why is that scary? 
Well, at any point while I'm sitting there on the toilet, someone could press the button outside and it slowly slides open to reveal me weeing or pulling my pants up or whatever. But they have locks on those doors, so... Yes, I do check that the light is on next to the lock button, but I don't know if I can trust technology with this level of intimacy. And in a bedroom? You could be getting undressed or you could be doing it and any old guy could just waltz in with a martini, which is exactly what happens in this scene. (laughs) Yeah, the doc makes him a martini. I want to go back to this. Hold on. That's what that made you think of when you... Yeah. Like your brain... You stopped thinking all about the science fiction and the fact that they're in space. You just went to this. What an awful bedroom where the door could just slide open at any minute. You could be doing anything. Where's the privacy? Don't Don't you think they could probably lock that door? Do you think they have the technology to just... Nope. (laughs) (laughs) So like you said, Doc comes in, he mixes up some martinis. So 60s. Yum. He tells Captain Pike, you know, a fella often tells his bartender things he'll never tell his doctor. Hmm, well, I've been a bartender and a therapist, and never a doctor, but I can tell you that people do tell the therapist quite a bit more than they... <laughs> and those drunken therapy sessions, then you really get down to it. <laughs> so Pike says he's thinking about quitting Starfleet. The pressures of making these life or death choices, it's just too much, and... He wants to get back to Earth, I think it's Earth, hmm. and go on horseback rides and have picnics, do all that stuff. Doc says, <laughs> you'd be bored in five minutes. <laughs> it's so harsh. He's just got started planning his retirement. He's just spitballing some ideas, isn't he? <laughs> and the doc talks about turning your back and starting to wither away. I know it can be a real concern for retiring men that they might lose their identity once they stop working or something. Yeah, it's a bit harsh. And, and he's a young man. Mm. He's like in his... 30s or something. Yeah, he's got plans. Has he got some horse, horsey plans? <laughs> so then uh, Spock shows up on screen in the room, uh, audio and picture, which I yeah. thought was pretty cool, and says that there was uh, a follow-up message to that distress signal that they got. There are actually 11 survivors on Talos 4. That's the planet. I was quite impressed by the motion recognition screen Spock swiped. Yeah. Came up with that in the 60s. They didn't, but they don't really do that later on in the series. They usually just press buttons and stuff. But in this pilot episode, he sort of waves his hand to make things go on and off. It's very Xbox Connect. Spike reconsiders. He goes to the bridge and tells them, you know what? Change course. Let's go rescue these folks. And then he says, time factor seven. So in the pilot, it's different than the regular series because warp is how they travel faster than light. (laughs) Obviously. (laughs) I have to say there's some really bad acting. When Pike accidentally bumps into uh, Yeoman Colt, she's cute, somewhat shy, short red-haired woman, and seems to be enamored with Pike. And he's pretty handsome, right? You think? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) In an orange-faced 60s kind of way. (laughs) I bring up the attractiveness of these characters because I feel like it plays a strange part in this episode. Mm. Also, Pike's previous yeoman was killed just two weeks ago at the Battle of Rigel 7. Aww. Yeah, so, you know, she's new to the job. Colt beats it and Pike says that, you know, he's not used to having a woman on the bridge. Uh, Then number one, who's on the bridge, she says, uh, (laughs) hello. And then he goes, blah, blah, you know, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. You don't count. You're different. Uh, He manages to insult her twice. Yeah, it's pretty good. And then with the ample protection of the hoodless, sparkly coats, 
Pike and the team beam down onto Talos 4. Uh, wait, so how do you feel about people beaming down, like this whole device of transporting teleportation? Well, my first thought was it's, it's pretty great. Oh, okay, good. Then I thought about it a bit more and it's completely terrifying. <laughs> I guess it's old hat to them, the beaming, just like traveling by train is now. Whereas in the first train journeys, apparently, people were so scared of the locomotives just going mental and I don't know, just ramming them into a mountain yeah. somehow or exploding, yeah. that the passenger trains were pulled by horses instead. That's not a train, is it? <laughs> no. That's how I'd be, though, if I was offered beaming. I'll take the stairs, Scotty. <laughs> Yes. In fact, a character later on in the series, Dr. McCoy, who's a big part of it, he is actually pretty bothered by transporting. Mm. And there are transporter accidents, which, you know, fuel about 10% of the plot lines of the show. I'm exaggerating, but <laughs> there's definitely a lot of things where transporters go wrong and some wackiness ensues. Well, later in this, only some of the people who are beamed end up there. That's true. But they get onto the planet. They walk around there for a bit and there are these plants that kind of sing when you touch them mm. and what's really creepy for me about this is spock he gets this big old grin on his face when he touches it and he really likes it which is mm. strange because i guess early in the development spock was not the logical emotionless character that he eventually becomes or maybe that's the one thing that can get him going <laughs> the dancing flowers <laughs> <laughs> yeah that'd be a good secret santa for him <laughs> <laughs> Oh, they find a makeshift camp with all these old scientists in tattered clothes, all men. They are the survivors of a crashed spaceship called the SS Columbia. So I had a question at this point. Okay. Is there a way to make rocks look like rocks and not polystyrene? That is a good question. I don't know. And strangely, this is a problem that continues on into the 90s. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Pike and company, they get these crash-landed hobo scientists up to speed about what's going on in the galaxy, advancements in technology... All that stuff. And then out walks this young blonde woman. And she is very smoldery. She's got Ooh. kind of, you know, she's good. she doesn't just go, hi, how you doing? She's, mm. oh, yeah. <laughs> What's going on, guys? Oh, yeah. She's kind of like that. They introduce her as Vina. And the doctor says that the men, after examining them, look like they're in good health, almost too good. Mm. Well, they actually introduce her as, this is Vina. Her parents are dead. It seems a bit harsh. <laughs> It's worse than, this is Chris's wife, which I've had a few times as an introduction. Aww. No offense, it's just I'm a woman in my own right. Yeah, well, I'm proud to be introduced as Rachel's husband. Oh. I'm even cool with Rachel's old man. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> but uh, Vina, after meeting Pike, she says, he's a prime specimen, which I never get. <laughs> Not anymore. Mm. And then there are these three Mars attack-esque aliens in long sparkly gowns with huge pulsating heads watching the landing party through a viewing screen. Yeah, they're called uh, Talosians. And by the creepy stilted acting that you called sensual? What did you call it? <laughs> Smoldering. <laughs> Smoldering. I call it creepy and stilted. Vina is clearly an alien, a robot or a brainwashed cultist. Yeah. But she sure perks up once she holds the captain's hand. So Pike seems swayed pretty well by this attractive woman. And one of the old guys says, hey, you know, we got this secret. We want to show you. Pina, why don't you go take him and show him? And then he's like, all right, sure, whatever. That was a bad choice, surely. <laughs> Sounds so creepy. It's like a don't talk to strangers type scenario, isn't it? <laughs> so she disappears and one of the big heads squirts yellow gas at the captain. 
Captain, what? Yeah, yeah. It's knockout gas. And then they drag him away. Just as they do, the Enterprise crew gets there and they see that there's this hidden door in the cliffside, but it closes. So they take their lasers, which they call them lasers, they're not phasers yet, and they shoot at the door, but it doesn't do anything. Spock puts it together and says that this has all been some elaborate man trap. Man trap. Pike wakes up without his jacket, his communicator, or his phaser or laser, whatever it's called. And he's in this cave-like cell with a transparent wall <sighs> through which he can see several creatures, uh, different types of creatures in other cages. This is even worse than the toilet door bedroom scenario. <laughs> Waking up on a glittery blow-up mattress may be encouraging to start with. Sure. But then to realize you're in a perspex room with a big old corridor leading to God knows where. Yeah. Then some guy in an orange gorilla warthog suit pops <laughs> in and out. Then a crow wanders in briefly. And then the aliens gliding. I'd be losing my shit. But not the captain. Completely unfazed. Yeah, well, he's he's uh, he's a pro, man. He knows what he's doing. <laughs> Three Talosians arrive and make telepathic scientific observations in a very condescending way. <laughs> and they have to know that he understands them. Yeah. The subject appears aggravated at its confinement. Why doesn't he go, I can hear you. <laughs> yeah. I'm right here. So You're rude. just being mean. Oh. Treating me like I don't understand. I understand. The telepathy would be very useful on a date at a restaurant, I thought. You could get a lot of eating done without disturbing the flow of conversation. Eh. The only possible downside for me would be uh, looking at a massive pulsing head. <laughs> possible. <laughs> <laughs> so after teasing Pike a bit, they uh, say it's time to prep for the experiment and off they go. The room gets all wavy and he's not in his cell anymore, but on a trippy alien planet with a palace kind of thing there. And it's actually really pretty. It's yeah. Really cool, cool design. And this is Rigel 7 where the battle took place two weeks ago. Pike knows this is an illusion, or at least he suspects it. Vina shows up and she's got some kind of Renfair get up <laughs> and she's begging him to save her. Yeah, the creepy lady's at it again, but Pike is having none of it. Well, yeah, he doesn't buy it, but he wants to see what's going on with these illusions and how they work. And he figures maybe if he plays into this a little bit, he'll get a sense of what's happening and then he'll be able to figure out how to overcome it. Mm. So they get into this courtyard of this sort of castle and there's all these medieval weapons around, no lasers or anything like that, which I thought was kind of strange. But then this guy comes out, he's super big. He's wearing lots of furs and he's got these big fake teeth <laughs> and he's Talar. Uh, which is a native of Rigel 7. He looked like one of the witch's guards from The Wizard of Oz to me. <laughs> and he's absolutely rubbish at fighting. <laughs> Who trained that guard? Oh, Rachel, you better get used to the fight choreography in Star Trek or this is going to be a, a rough ride. <laughs> Yay. Pike fights him. And then, you know, actually Vina gets in a few good jabs, which I thought was pretty good. Yeah. Because, you know, this is the 60s and fairly sexist. So I was thinking, whoa, whoa, she's in there. She's getting in. But of course, this dude's gigantic and armed. He's got a big axe. Pike eventually kills him. Then Pike and Vina are transported back to his cell. Again, he's completely unimpressed to be suddenly <laughs> back in his room with this lady's arms around his neck saying she'll be anything he wants her to be. But no, he can't get into it at all. You got to understand he's there under duress. He doesn't want to be in the cell with this woman who's like, hey, I want you to marry me. I think you're great. And it's like, I don't even know you, crazy lady. Mm. You got. I mean, you got to see that. He's only been there for, what, like 20 minutes. Well, He's not ready to settle down and commit yet. I was thinking, how did he get so cynical? <laughs> I know for me, the turning point was at, at age 11, I was really into Kylie Minogue. 
and wrote a letter which was published in the kids' newspaper about how disappointing her Madame Tussauds waxwork was. Oh, wow. And my dad happened to meet her one day. What? And recorded her thanking me for that letter. What? Yeah, and I was just about to call all my friends when he revealed it was just some Australian lady visiting his work that was all a lie. <laughs> what? And I haven't believed anyone since then. <laughs> you really did that? Yeah. Wait, no, wait, I how think... did you think Kylie Minogue was in Keithley? Yeah. I guess if you're 11, you can think those things. <laughs> she was Australian. Oh, right. It sounded yeah, it like her. Sense. So do you think your father was maybe uh, a Talosian? We do have quite big heads in my family. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, there's a cutscene uh, from this episode. Of my dad in it. <laughs> no, no, but the Talosians do go on the Blues Cruise. <laughs> Perfect. So there's two things similar. It's all coming together. So he does manage to get Vina to spill the beans. And she says the Talosians had a once great civilization, but got too reliant on their telepathic abilities and then the whole place went to crap. That made me think about the addictive quality of video gaming. I know you won't like me saying that. Sure. But I was thinking about the occasional person who, you know, just dies because they can't get up and eat or sleep. <laughs> and they just sit gaming <laughs> for weeks. Do you think gaming is at fault there? Do you think that... Well, if the Talosians are blaming their telepathic powers for not being asked to do anything like having sex, <laughs> you could similarly blame gaming for people not actually getting together in real life. I really don't feel that that's a fair analogy. Oh, I thought I did quite well with that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. The Talosians want Vina and Pike to repopulate their world and start a new civilization. Whew, that's a lot of pressure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure you can... I mean, I'm, obviously they have advanced technology, but you can't... Two people... There's not enough genetic material there to make a whole civilization. You've That's got... straight into incest at generation two, isn't it? These guys go, well, look, you're going to have to do what we want or we're going to make your life difficult. And he says, well, I'd like to see you try. And they go, wah, 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 wah. Yeah. and they make him think that he's in this burning cave with like his hands all melting and stuff. And then they stop doing it. And then he goes, okay. Uh, yeah, that sucks. I'll, mm. I'll, I'll go ahead and eat. I'm going to still work on my escape plan, but I'm just going to humor these dudes for now. But at that point, before he does that, he's really angry. Mm. And he runs right at the Talosian and slams against the class. But this time, the Talosian is afraid. Of course, Pike has this theory, and that is totally right, that when he fills his mind with rage, the Talosians can't read it. This could be similar to when someone's in a fight or flight mode. The reptilian brain's activated. The emotional alarm center of the brain oh. and the rational brain and the speech generating part of the brain is inhibited maybe they can't read the thoughts because of that yeah, nice science application <laughs> he brings up his theory to the talosian mm. and the talosian just changed the subject and says you know hey vina she's pretty good looking you know how about you get on that <laughs> come on buddy and he says vina is the only survivor of the columbia crash oh so everybody else died. That The whole thing was an illusion up there with all those people. The Talosian also says that Vina and Pike are there for the repopulation of, of Talos IV. 
the Talosians, they're going to start punishing her if he doesn't do what they want him to do. And he says, hey, that's not cool. You know, punish me. I'm the one that's being a jerk. And the Talosians say, so you care for her, huh? Mm. This is a good beginning. Sweet. (laughs) Yeah. So next up is the retirement fantasy of a horse picnic near Pike's home, (laughs) which is beautiful, actually. Yeah, it's like Mojave Valley, but it's all green. and. Yeah, well done, set designers. Fina is much less creepy in this scene. Apart from the fact that she insists on pretending to be his wife, despite him having none of it. (laughs) (laughs) And the horrifying dish she's made of his mother's recipe for chicken tuna. Uh, What's that? (laughs) Why would you try and make chicken taste like tuna? No, I don't. I think I could be wrong, but I think chicken tuna is just is tuna, like canned tuna that you would eat. They call it chicken tuna. Why? It's the chicken of the sea. It's sort of. Right. I'm looking it up now. Right, okay, so apparently you put chicken and tuna in, and then you add other stuff like pecans and apricots. That sounds quite nice, apart from the chicken. Oh. And then we cut to the big-headed aliens still standing there in the middle of the room, watching this on the little screen. Just standing there. (laughs) They realise that the horse picnic and fake wife is going nowhere, so decide to throw in a swimming pool with some green chick dancing like a snake. So the captain's now wearing an outfit so gaudy that I think he looks like one of the three kings in a nursery nativity play. <laughs> he does. <laughs> Doesn't he? He does. That green girl was, that's Vina. They just greened her up. I thought it looked like number one. No, no, it's Vina. It's definitely mm. Vina. They changed her into what is called an Orion slave girl, which is a thing in Star Trek. The Orions, they still have slaves in the future. Mm. What are you going to do? But the Talosians tried to make Vina a good wife character for him, and he didn't buy it. So now they're going to try and go the whole other direction with it, making her into a sex slave, hoping that's going to get his interest. Did it get your interest? (laughs) (laughs) She was a brunette. (laughs) And green. And green. Yeah, green. I've had a thing for She-Hulk as as a kid, (laughs) so I don't know. And the Wicked Witch. Back up top, the crew of the Enterprise have got this huge gun and they're trying to blast at the entrance of the Talosian cave. But it doesn't work. They're using full power. Nothing's happening. So Spock says, we actually have this power source targeted. So why don't we beam some people down to where this power source is and maybe we can disable it. But when they attempt to beam the crew down, only number one and Colt are beamed down and they're beamed down right into the cage next to Pike. Oh, no. The (laughs) town. Sorry, I have watched it. (laughs) (laughs) The, The Talosians give Pike his choice of mates, a blonde, a brunette and a redhead. All the kinds. (laughs) (laughs) So number one tells Pike, he goes, you know, Vina, she was in the records of that ship that crashed, and she's actually much older than she appears here. The captain's, of course, totally unfazed when his two female colleagues teleport in right next to him. You're not bothered at all either way. Yeah. Is this typical of 1960s acting, or is this just Star Trek? Well, I like to think that it's star trek because for them it's like opening up a door it's not a big deal all right you know because they they transport around all the time so they're not you know to them not whoa i mean if you were a primitive person and somebody transported in front of you that would be pretty crazy but to them it's not you know not a big deal Uh. (laughs) (laughs) makes you think it's so awkward though isn't it when the big head says about number one she often has fantasies involving you (laughs) 
<laughs> and that the redhead has unusually strong female drives. Yeah. <laughs> Woo! See what I mean? It's number one is sort of the intellectual choice because she's very smart, very clever, knows a lot about science. But Colt, the kind of selling point for her is she likes doing it. <laughs> yeah. She's in it, getting it a lot. Woo! And it all felt like this was some immature sex fantasy for a 13-year-old boy. <laughs> yeah. Perhaps that is their target demographic, so they're, you know, playing to their audience. But fortunately, the protagonist is not having it. He's not even considering the idea of like, well, maybe I'd like to. No, he's just like, no, no this is BS. I'm not playing your game. You guys suck. <laughs> Back up on the Enterprise, Spock doesn't know what to do. He decides he's going to give up, fly out of there. But the Telosians have taken over the ship. And in doing so, they download all of the information about Earth history from the databanks. Hackers. So back to Pike, he figures out any strong basic emotion will keep the Talosians out of his mind. So he, he puts on pictures of you by the cure and he just cries as he tries to fake sleep. Uh -huh. One of the Talosians tries to sneak up while uh, he's asleep and take one of his phasers, which one of the ladies had before and it fell in there. So they're, it, it's pretty comical, the Talosians <laughs> kind of sneak yeah. in. And... Uh, he jumps up and he grabs it and then starts choking this Talosian. He puts the Talosian in a chokehold. The Talosian tries to use this illusion to make him look like a big, silly monster, but it doesn't work. <laughs> Pike keeps strangling it and he says, you don't stop with these shenanigans. I'm going to break your little neck. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we forgot, though, when they tried earlier to use that phaser to blast the Perspex screen. Yes. But it didn't work. No. Or did it? <laughs> <laughs> so is what happened that when they blasted at it, it did work and yes. made a big hole, but the big heads made them think it hadn't worked and was intact. Yes. And then he realized it had worked and he could escape. Yes. Yeah. So they all escape to the surface. They see that that whole mountaintop that they were blasting with the big laser was actually totally blasted by the big laser and that was just Whoa. a big illusion. Yeah. So they're on the surface. Their communicators still don't work because the Talosians uh, have uh, their technology under control for some reason. And they're saying, look, we really need to repopulate our planet. We're not going to let you go. So the number one takes out our phaser and sets it to overload, which will kill them all. So like total suicide thing. Why is that a feature of the gun? <laughs> Funny you should say that because <laughs> they set phasers to overload a lot on Star Trek. Wow. So obviously it does have a lot of practical uses if you need a basic improvised explosive device of some kind. Or right, it's one of those good threats like a teenager. Oh, if you don't let me go to that party, mom, I'm going to set my phaser to overload. <laughs> and they start sort of sliding it up. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that, exactly that's, like that's that. true. So the other Talosians <laughs> come up from the surface and they say, uh, hey, you know, look, we just checked out Earth history, downloaded from their ship. These guys are nut jobs. They hate captivity, even when it's nice captivity. And they will do whatever they can to get out of it, even kill themselves. So humans, you suck for our plans. This isn't going to work. No apologies, of course, by the way. Oh, and the captain's really miffed looking about that, isn't he? Uh, so Pike, he's being in Starfleet, a company man. He says, you know what? Maybe we can team up. You know, my people are, we're explorers, we're peaceful. You need help. Maybe we can help you repopulate this planet. But the Telosians are like, no, we don't want your help. You guys are way too dangerous. And if you got a hold of our tech, you would end up like us. Look, what, look at what happened to our civilization. We got all this great technology, all this mind powers. We blew it, and it, the same thing would happen to you. You all wouldn't be asked to have sex either. <laughs> so the, the crew is free to go, but Vina, she doesn't want to leave. The others go, and Pike tries to convince her to go with him. 
but mm, she's that's not ha- nice. But she's not having it. Her appearance is actually an illusion. She's horribly disformed from the crash of the Columbia. So we then see Vina rapidly aging. I thought the effect was pretty good, actually. Yeah. And then deforming into looking a bit smushed in the face with yeah. a massive humpback. Yeah. She looked a bit like that Rocky Road guy from the Goonies. Oh, How do you say it, Rocky Road? Rocky, Rocky Road. Yeah, she did look a little slothish. Yeah. That's true. She mentions that everything works, though. Oh, I know. Oh, yes. That was really kind of dirty. I, was, I know. I'm yeah. sad. Uh-oh. The claim is they put her back together after the crash of her ship, but didn't have a human to base her on. <laughs> but the big heads of human bodies just base her on you. <laughs> if not, symmetry is usually a good bet. <laughs> Yeah, that didn't make a lot of sense there. Uh, of course, living a life of freedom with a bunch of non-molesty crew and a real Captain Pike on a nice ship, but having to look old and deformed, is a real cold lunch <laughs> compared to being young and pretty. So Vina decides to stay and they give her a fake Captain Pike for company. Yeah. So back of the ship, he sees the dock and Pike tells him, you know what, I'm ready to be captain. I'm feeling great. Somehow this experience convinced him not to retire. <laughs> <laughs> I would think it would be the exact opposite. But then this is the end of the show, and this bit is really weird. Sir, I was wondering, just curious, who would have been Eve? Yeoman, you've delivered your report. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Eve, sir? Yes, sir. Eve, as in Adam. As in all ship's doctors, a dirty old man. What are we running here? A cadet ship number one? Are we ready or not? All decks are ready, sir. Engage! (laughs) (laughs) All ship's doctors are dirty old men? All. All ship's doctors are dirty old men. I think Starfleet's requirements for service really need an overhaul, if that's the case. And that's the end of the of the first episode of the show. So, Rachel, what do you think? Part of it's expectations, isn't it? Yeah. I thought it was going to be half an hour. <laughs> <laughs> so it was quite, I was quite enjoying it. Till a clock started moving past half an hour and I realized it was over an hour. Oh, yeah. Then it started to drag a little bit. But mm-hmm. apart from that... Yeah. Well, I quite enjoyed it. Well, really? I mean, I enjoyed writing notes about it, knowing that I was going to do a show about it. Okay. I wouldn't have willingly sat through it otherwise. That's a start. I'll but there was that. enough to say about it, wasn't there, I think? Mm-hmm. I'd have yeah. a go for another. Do you think that there was any theme or message that was trying to be communicated? Well, I wonder if rather than them being 60s, not so progressive about female equality, they were actually commenting on that. Yeah. And passing judgment on the fact that a woman's appearance is valued above other qualities. Yeah. And were they trying to show that people may become more progressive, that they couldn't be manipulated by baser instincts or something? This pilot episode wasn't great, as Star Trek goes. You know, you're not the only person to think so. I'm not the only person. The show wasn't going to happen based on this pilot. NBC supposedly said it was too cerebral, too intellectual, too slow, I agree, Mm. with not enough action. I don't know if you know this, but the production company that made Star Trek was Desilu Productions. And the owner of that studio in the 60s was Lucille Ball. Mm. Even when NBC turned down the pilot, she still felt that it was a good idea. And she 
pull her weight as much as she could to get a second pilot produced. Hmm. And that pilot is the one that stars Shatner. It's much more like the Star Trek we know and love now. Okay. And that pilot was accepted and the rest is history. You can thank Lucille Ball for Star Trek, which is kind of amazing. I'm not going to thank her yet. (laughs) But maybe in a few weeks, I will. So now the second pilot, which is called Where No Man Has Gone Before, is aired as the third episode of the show. But I think that we should actually watch that one next and talk about it next week. Well, I guess you know what you're doing. (laughs) Uh, I guess I do. I'm looking forward to watching another episode of Star Trek with you. Maybe. I'll love it. Maybe you'll love it. Well, I'll have to wait and see. And with that, I'm Chris Lackey. And I'm Rachel Lackey. With music by Chad Pfeiffer. Yeah. You have been listening to Rachel Watches Star Trek. At rachelwatchesstartrek.com. Star Trek!